Ready to attend a live farm show? And just what's happening in Washington regarding the shipping container issue and that infrastructure bill? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. There's excitement in farm country, and I'm not talking about planting time. Those of us in the farm show business, and while I'm editorial director at Farm Progress, we're all in the farm show business, we're excited too. We're getting back together. But what does that mean? We wanted to get some perspective from Matt Youngman, events director at Farm Progress, about the 2021 Farm Progress show and Husker Harvest Days. This is just our first conversation, but we cover some key issues like dates, the kind of corn we plant on site, and more. We also checked back on a topic we covered a few weeks ago in the podcast, the shortage of shipping containers to move ag products overseas. Policy editor Jackie Fatka caught up with South Dakota representative Dusty Johnson to discuss that issue. And while she had him on the line, they also talked about that big infrastructure bill. But first, let's talk farm shows and going live for 2021. Matt Youngman, welcome to Around Farm Progress. How's it going? Very, very good, Willie. It's, uh, it's action packed around here this time of year. Well, yeah, I know because you actually, you're, what is your side hustle? The uh, farm? Yep, we we tinker around here on a farm, and and um, I I can get a lot of work done between running the seed tender to just keep the planter running. My job is to keep the planter running, and and otherwise I sit here at my computer. And when we're doing beans, about every hour and a half, I'm up and going and taking more seed. And when we're doing corn, I've got a, a little bit longer between runs. Well, that's good. At least you're getting something done. And then, of course, you are getting something done. We're talking today about live farm shows returning to Decatur and Grand Island. And I'm very excited about that because I'm an avowed farm show junkie myself. But tell me more about that. Where are we with this process? We are, we are, like you said, we are game on. We are full speed ahead for live in-person Farm Progress show, August 31st, September 1st and 2nd, and a live in-person Husker Harvest Day, September 14th, 15th, and 16th. Um, you know, everybody mark your calendars. You know, the big landmark moment that happens here during the spring is the fact that we put that early corn in the ground, both in Decatur and in Grand Island. So that's on the way soon. We we are we're just about there. We're working around a few of the curveballs Mother Nature's thrown us, but we're going to be planting corn here within the next couple of days. Well, that's fantastic. And we're recording this on the Wednesday before it goes live on the on the podcast. So hopefully by the time this podcast airs or very early next week, there'll be corn in the ground. And a lot of your a lot of your listeners will know that, you know, the current cool, hot thing is to plant all your soybeans before you go planting corn. And I've had been in several conversations with host farmers and, and they during this this good break that we've had here earlier this week, there have been a lot of beans that went in the ground. And, and that was kind of the plan is that they were going to get their beans in the ground while maybe the soil temperature wasn't quite there or the moisture or the, uh, you know, soil moisture wasn't exactly perfect. And that's kind of what's happening here is they're getting a good chunk of their beans in here as we speak. And the rain's going to come through that that is probably recent history when this goes live. And as soon as that dries out, when, you know, we're looking at Saturday, Sunday, Monday, maybe Tuesday, we're going to be in the field planting crops, both at, at Decatur and Grand Island. Usually it works out that about the time everybody goes nuts across the Midwest planting, that's Farm Progress Show and Husker are right at the cusp of that. And so, you know, the the your listeners that are hearing this from the cab of the tractor are probably well aware of what the soil conditions are like. And, and it looks like we're going to be in real good shape at both locations to get the crop in in a good time. 
Right. And let's clarify so everybody knows, because I get this question, you know, I'll be standing out at the field demo. What's the maturity of that corn? So what are you planting in Decatur? Let's talk about that first. Sure. So we have learned a lot over the course of doing the Farm Progress show there in Decatur. And we, you know, we have a little time here. I can kind of give you a little bit of a history on that. Uh, when we started in 05, we had just come off of a record cold summer in 2004. And if anybody remembers the 2004 field demonstrations in Allam and Iowa, the first year that we changed dates, that corn really wasn't ready to go. And so we overcorrected in 2005 and planted 78-day corn in Decatur. And I mean, it was ready. It, it was it was 12 and 13% moisture by the time showtime show got there. And over the years, we have gone later and later and later and got to the point where we were planting uh, 92, 94-day corn. And it, and, and it was always nip and tuck here the last couple shows. The 17 and 19 shows were nip and tuck whether that corn was going to be ready. So we've throttled that back a little bit because when we're making our comeback here after a year off of COVID, we want to make darn sure we've got field demonstrations. So rather than kind of plant that high risk, high reward, 94 day corn, we've throttled that back to about an 89, 90 day corn is what we're going to put in the ground. And that's plan A, right? That plan A is that if, if the, if the planting date is somewhere in the teens or early twenties of April, plan A is what we're planting. And then we've got corn in the, at, at the Growmark warehouse that if we have to go to a plan B in case mother nature disagrees for a couple of weeks, our plan B takes us back to a, an 87, 88 day corn somewhere in there. So um, we've got kind of plans A through Z and we're ready to pull the trigger on any of them depending on what mother nature gives. Uh, but but for right now, the the forecast and the temperatures and the soil conditions and everything look, look really good. And you know, you asked the question about crop maturities, that was all a Decatur discussion. It's yeah. a completely different world in Boone. You're far enough north that we're planting 78 day corn when we're in when we're in Boone and Grand Island, this will be the 43rd time we've done it in Grand Island. So they kind of know what to do out there. And so you're at a, you're at a 99 day corn in Grand Island to be ready the, the middle of September and that they usually hit that just right on. Yeah. It always looks pretty good. Uh, Kudos to Jason and Roger for that work. I know that's a big deal for that. Yeah, they have they have that program mastered. I I I walked into this in 2004, and I you know I haven't asked a lot of questions. They just go do the right things, and I don't ask too many questions. And let's not give Jason and Roger any bigger heads. Uh, we're speaking very highly of our great operations folks out in Grand Island. That'd be Jason Libby and his father Roger Libby, who do a fantastic job taking care of that space. So that's for sure. So this is cool. One of the things you know, you and I've had some side conversations. We did the FPVX, the Farm Progress Virtual Experience last year, because we couldn't get together. But that also means that by August of this year, I've got over a year where I haven't seen anything up close new. Yeah, the, the last time that you saw any new products, any new technologies, the last time the industry got together was maybe Commodity Classic at the end of February, first days of March there in, in 2020. So you're looking at a year and a half, two years. If you didn't make it, you know, if you, if the last trade show you went to was was Farm Progress in 19 or, you know, Louisville in 20, you're you're pushing a year and a half, two years since you've seen anything new. And and the the wheels of progress, the technological advancements did not take a COVID break and they have kept coming down the pipe. And you, these are going to be your chance to, to really get caught up. You really see all these things in person that you've only had the chance 
to see on a screen in front of you. So literally kick tires and stand next to it and lean on it and point at it and ask questions of the experts. This is going to be your chance to, to get that. And I think I said at the beginning, uh, you know, in addition to catching up on all that, the, the industry hasn't been together. You know, you, you haven't had anybody from USDA. You haven't, you know, we've had a change in politics at the BC level. And so there's all new, there's all new bosses there that all need to get out and, and intermingle with these growers. And there's a lot of things that happen at Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days beyond its primary goal of a trade show. And, and none of that's had the chance to occur. No. And I mean, uh, uh, I guess what I always like to tell is we've got a process we've been doing since, uh, oh, it's my gosh, it's almost 20 years where we put four editors on the ground and their job is to divide the show up into four pieces at Farm Progress Show. And then they visit every exhibitor in each of those quadrants. And every year we come back with 100 products, minimum of 100 products, most new, some interesting. Now we're going into year two. There's a couple hundred things that you haven't seen. And I think, and you know, we could talk about the big stuff, Deer's largest launch in its history, all the exciting things that are going on at AgCo, what Case has been up to. And I believe Case is still up to something because I'm getting a buzz, but I don't know what it means. So I think from that standpoint, there's some exciting stuff going on there. But then we talk about my shortliners. I just got an email from one that's got a big, they're going to do a virtual thing now, but they just told me that it will be at the Farm Progress Show for people to see live. So I think when we start talking about this, this is really exciting, but we just like to touch iron. We like to see people and we get to do that. And that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It, you know, just you talk about there's lots of things coming. The autonomy is that that sounded like Star Wars not too long ago. And now, you know, it's it's real and it it's here and it's not just one company doing it. We're getting other people that are kind of crawling out of the woodwork to come and be part of those demonstrations. And, you know, variable variable depth tillage and, you know, depth tillage control that you're doing through electronic eyes and, and just just things that unless you stand there next to it and, and you experience it, you just can't you can't ask the questions because you're not prompted with the physical interaction with it unless you're standing there next to it. Just live matters. That's for sure. So we're excited about that. Now that brings up a good question. Um, are the exhibitors excited? What are you hearing from your need for space? Yeah, that is, that has been a, a great surprise. You know, there's, there are some, there are still some COVID things that are left you know, and they primarily have to do with borders that people can't cross. You know, you let's let's, you know, take a company like a like a Verstal. It's a Canadian company, but they have a whole U.S. team of people. They're going to be they're going to be there because they've got enough U.S. people to staff it, even if even if the Canadians can't come across the border. And then you can look at a smaller company that maybe they are just a Canadian company. You know, they they bring their wares down and they'll set they sell all over the country or all over the US or all over the globe. But it's but if they can't get these three specific people across the border, then they really can't exhibit. And so there's there's a few of those kinds of things. But for the most part, saving a couple of, you know, kind of weird COVID hangover type things, you have a full exhibitor list and you have a, a pretty full exhibit field. And the excitement is palpable of people that are excited to get out in front of growers and have their opportunity to sell their products and services because they have things that they are genuinely excited about. And without doing it in person, there's just not a real good way to market it. We want to do this all virtually when when COVID was going on. And I think we did the best job that could be done 
but nothing replaces live and everybody is excited to get back to that. I think it's very exciting to get back to that. And I, I think as we wrap up, I think one thing though, is that we did do a lot of work virtually last year. Um, all of us did. Um, that goes away for the live show, but there will be some virtual that we'll be bringing back as part of this. And that's still to be determined. And I think you and I should plan to talk about that at a future date. What do you think? Yeah. You know, you don't go anytime you go make a big leap like we did of living our lives on Zoom and everything else that we did during COVID. You don't ever end up going all the way back. And so there there will be some virtual things. There will be virtual things that are captured at the event, maybe some live things captured at the event. But um, it, it you won't go all the way back. There will still be that FPVX and it'll be there will be good content there that really doesn't replace the live event kind of augments the live event and and makes it live longer and better uh, because you're able to capture it and share it that way. That's for sure. And obviously, one thing I'd like to remind people, and we've had this for years, our online exhibitor list is still a very powerful tool. And when it's live and active for the new show, this is where you can find out who's going to be there, find out what they're going to have. And I would recommend that as the show approaches, going to farmprogressshow.com or huskerharvestdays.com, you need to be checking out the exhibitor list once it goes live, because that's a pretty powerful tool as well. It is, and it's a big place. It's physically a great big show site, both of those shows. And so you better have a little bit of a plan or you're going to miss something and do a lot of backtracking. And that tool allows you to make a plan for your day that, that gets you across that facility as efficiently as possible when you still want to see field demonstrations and, and you know, other things that, that are have a have a time restriction on them. Um, it, it, it makes you it, it makes your day at the show more valuable. Yeah, I know. I always enjoy having people come to the show for the very first time. Um, we've had that, you and I have both had the fun of that when they show up and they go, holy cow, this is really big. <laughs> and so I do enjoy that. I try to remind people, we got 90 acres of just exhibit field. Uh, we have 200, almost 200 acres of field demonstrations we put on and this is farm progress show. And we have almost 300 acres of parking. We, so <laughs> we work, we work for a trade show company, Willie. And when you tell other people within the company that aren't necessarily involved in in farm shows, we measure our area in acres, and and so they say, well, now what is that in square feet? Because they measure, they live their lives in square feet, and we say, oh, that's about 3.9 million square feet, and their jaw drops and can't <laughs> believe that there's such a such a trade show exists. Then you have to tell them we can also drive semis down our uh, rows. Yep. I mean, that's all the part of this. I mean, well, that's the unique part of our shows is that it is exciting. And you're right. We do work for the largest, one of the largest trade show companies in the world. And bringing some of those folks over, I'm hoping a bunch can join us in August so they can see exactly what we're doing. So, Matt, what are those dates again? Remind us as we wrap up. Yeah, please. That's the big thing is get your get your calendar marked August 31st, September 1st and 2nd. That's the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before Labor Day. And then the, this party moves out to Grand Island, Nebraska. September 14th, 15th, and 16th. Matt, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us on Around Farm Progress. Take care, uh, keep up, and I know we're going to be talking to you in a few weeks. Uh, very good. Thanks a lot, Willie. I always enjoy talking with Matt, and we really are excited about our farm shows this fall, and we hope to see you all there. Now we're switching gears and turning to some conversations happening on Capitol Hill. Policy editor Jackie Fatka caught up with South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson to talk about two key issues, that transportation container shortage and the infrastructure bill. Let's see what she learned. 
I am here with uh, Representative Dusty Johnson, who represents uh, South Dakota, and he also serves as the ranking member of the Subcommittee on Livestock and Foreign Agriculture, and also serves on the Transportation Committee in the House. And uh, earlier this week, he met with uh, some individuals from the Federal Maritime Commission and discussed some of their ongoing efforts and just the the shipping delays that many many farmers are are feeling the repercussions from and uh so we're going to talk with dusty today representative johnson uh, thanks so much for taking your time today absolutely anytime well let's just start off um the meeting that that you had uh Share a little bit about what what was discussed in that meeting and any in the actions that um, FMC has offered that could benefit the ag sector. I mean, the meeting was uh, helpful. There were certainly some things we learned, but I mean, I'll be honest, there are a lot of things we wanted to talk about that were off limits. It's an ongoing enforcement action or potential enforcement actions. And so the commissioners, particularly the lead investigative commissioner, Commissioner Dye, was not really at liberty to give us a lot of details. I mean, what we do know is that we've got uh, more empty containers uh, going from America back to Asia than we would normally have. We know that has caused quite a ripple and quite a disruption in the supply chain for American ag products. And we know that there's frankly, a lot of irritation and a lot of frustration. And we're trying to get a sense of exactly what actors are making, what kind of decisions that are putting us in this spot. You know, part of, um, you mentioned that fact-finding effort, and, and this actually started in March 2020, and I know that they expanded uh, their their fact-finding mission uh, last November as well. Did they offer any kind of timeline of what when that might be completed, uh, how long could this continue on on just trying to get the information to make any changes? Yeah, information. That's the right word. I would say two things. Number one, they have an outstanding data request out where they're talking to a number of, of uh, you know, folks. And of course, you know, these, these ships are flagged in a variety of different countries, almost none of them in America. They may have some American employees, but some of them don't. So you've got kind of some, uh, you know, number one, you've got some international complications and some jurisdiction complications. But number two, there's not a good centralized data environment uh, for, you know, what these folks are shipping and who's making what decisions when. And so that really caused the FMC to need to go out and make a data request. They are expecting that data to come back uh, in the next few weeks. And then at that point, they really think they'll have a better sense of what the next steps look like. Obviously, exports are very important to ag industry with over 20% of ag products aimed for exports. Do you have any insight on the impact of some of this current port congestion on the ag sector or even anecdotal information that you've heard from from your farmers um, in that area that send a lot to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I have not seen any specific estimates about what it costs, but you know, we know when, you know, China got back into the market for, for pork and for beans in, in November, it created quite a rally in prices. And, uh, you know, we, we clearly have had some COVID disruption since that time. But we, you know, we, we, uh, we know that when there's strong demand from Asia, uh, that has a tremendous amount of upward pressure on price. And, you know, we didn't, a lot of people didn't think we'd see, you know, uh, beans in the teens after we had had such a low price environment for the, the three or four years before that. 
But the reason we had that rally really was uh, Asia demand. So any disruption uh, in, in in that, of course, is going to have a negative impact on price. Now it's time to just give me your straight up opinion. Do you believe that these vessel operating car- common carriers are refusing to fill contracts? Um, are they imposing unreasonable fees? Do you think that they may have um, a, a case to challenge some of the actions that we've seen because of the, the port congestion? Well, I'm not a maritime law expert, but it does seem to me that you've got some major players in Asia who want a quicker turn. I don't know that they're looking to sabotage America or anything like that. I just think they want containers. There is a tremendous amount of demand in America for consumer goods from Asia. And so these Asian manufacturers would want these turns to happen much, much faster. And that means they don't want to wait around for these containers to get filled back up with ag products. I think they're probably paying these vessels a heck of a sweet deal to get these things back. And I do think that's problematic. Uh, When you're a common carrier, uh, I don't think you uh, should be in a position of being able to cut out, uh, you know, half of the industry uh, because you want to cut a fatter hog on the back end. And I don't know if that uh, is the kind of power that the FMC is going to have. I don't know to what extent they'll be able to enforce some of these common carrier obligations, but I would tell you this, If the FMC is unable to act, I think that is going to cause a tremendous interest in Congress to determine what powers Congress can give the FMC or what kind of international agreements would be necessary uh, to bring a close to this kind of gaming of the system. Very good. Well, I would uh, obviously infrastructure is a big topic on Capitol Hill right now. So maybe we'll kind of switch gears a little bit, uh, but still very much in your wheelhouse. Uh, When you see what we have proposed for this infrastructure plan that came out last week, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, bipartisan infrastructure package getting across the finish line? And and what do you see as some of the positives in that package and, and maybe some of the concerns Well, one of my defining characteristics in my time in the House has been a strong interest in bipartisanship, but I I have very little optimism that uh, that is going that that bipartisanship is going to be the order of the day on infrastructure. I mean, the president has seemingly gone out of his way since the inaugural to not work with Republicans, and I didn't expect that. I mean, Joe Biden had a 40-year track record of working with uh, Republicans. I thought there'd be some evidence of the unity, unity, unity that he talked about on inaugural day, and there really hasn't been. You know, we saw the previous four COVID packages passed with overwhelming bipartisan majorities, but he didn't want to mess around with that. He went it alone, and it really seems as though he and and, uh, Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer are gearing up to do the same thing. Uh, They've talked about using reconciliation. They've got permission from the parliamentarian to use reconciliation again, uh, kind of unprecedentedly, And, you know, $2 trillion, that dog is just not going to hunt. You know, the last five-year highway bill, which was highly regarded as a major bipartisan success, was $305 billion over five years. When you start talking about a package seven times that size, it doesn't seem as though you're leaving a lot of ground to, um, you know, uh, build a bridge to the other party. And and building bridges is what we need. Uh, You know, more on that bipartisanship uh, and if they use a reconciliation process. And and I and I wrote recently about how, you know, a lot of these issues that are included in this big, big package have some bipartisan support. 
But as you pull them all together and then you add other things, you start distancing that support because of things that are included. And infrastructure would be one of those. Uh, and, and also, you know, some of the climate change provisions, you know, there is some support from the ag industry if it's if it's created in the right way. And, and um, you know, same with infrastructure. Uh, are there, is there any room for some of these ag priorities to find some bipartisan support, which we so often adore in ag country, you know, having issues that allow people from both sides of the aisle to come together. Uh, as you look forward, is there any hope for bipartisanship uh, yet this year? Well, there are a number of these provisions that uh, I think could be very popular. And, and it, so it's not as though I want to criticize uh, some of the investment. I mean, some of it, I think, is, you know, is investment that maybe isn't going to give our country a very good ROI, but there are lots of this investment that does, you know, is appealing. I mean, there are a countless number of, of good things we can do with borrowed money, but that's not really responsible. And so, you know, uh, with any ag operation, with any family, uh, the, you know, their appetite, their desire for the purchase of new things is going to outrun somewhat their budget. And that means they need to make some cutbacks. It means they need to make some hard decisions. It means they need to really focus their investment on things that are going to allow them to grow the operation or, or increase profitability. And I just, I don't know when, with a $30 trillion debt, I mean, I guess we've decided that it doesn't matter. I mean, with $6 trillion on COVID, uh, much of which I supported, some not, but much, I, I have. Uh, two trillion on infrastructure, two trillion more to come, and in, in another package in a few weeks. I just, I mean, at some point the wheels are going to come off the, uh, you know, the truck, and it just doesn't seem like that's a responsible way to govern a country. Well, Representative Dusty Johnson from South Dakota, I appreciate you taking the time today and and giving us some great insight from Capitol Hill on a lot of important ag topics. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Thanks to Jackie Facka for that interesting conversation on policy and some work going on in Washington. And thanks to Matt Youngman, Events Director at Farm Progress. And just one last note for that calendar. Gates open for the 2021 Farm Progress show on August 31st, and the show runs through September 2nd. Husker Harvest Days kicks off on September 14th and runs through September 16th. Please make plans to attend. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team and experts in our industry. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.